Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'm people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and to teach you. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know it. This is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of market. We all know that. Sure, today was a day where we measured what the Fed's done for us lately, as Fed Chief Jay Powell spoke about interest rates, keeping them the same, talking about the need to proceed carefully. Powell's assurances that he can get inflation under control, even though it's still running a little too hot, certainly made us feel a little more sanguine about stocks. That's one reason why the Dow could gain 222 points. S&P jumped 1.05%. The Nasdaq, holy cow, it pole vaulted 1.64%. But there was another reason for today's rally. It was from the Treasury Department, which published a bond issuance schedule for November. These are the bonds we need to issue to refinance our country's debt for next year. And this schedule was exactly what we needed to see because it caused long-term interest rates to fall. Put it simply, the bond market won't be overwhelmed by so-called long bonds, meaning 20 and 30-year paper. And that's another positive, something that allows Wall Street to reward good corporate news with higher stock prices. After all, rates have gotten very tight, correct, as Powell acknowledged. So we're seeing some slowing in many areas of the economy, making earnings more perilous. Season's been tough. Of course, rates still might not be high enough. Powell said the open market committee discussed more rate hikes, not standing pat. But for the moment, they left things alone. And they sound a lot less eager to tighten than they did the last meeting. You know what that means, don't you? It puts the few industrials, companies that are still generating good numbers at a real premium. And it gives us the confidence to buy the stocks of companies that just reported great numbers. Buy, 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 buy. The problem, as I see it, is that we haven't really pointed out which companies have truly distinguished themselves during this earnings season. Because we've been so focused on the market's wild day-to-day gyrations. That stops right now, right here. Tonight, I'm going to tell you who did what for us lately and what happened when they did. I want to start with today's hero, or perhaps I should say heroine, and that's AMD CEO Lisa Sue, who saved the day for her stock and for all of tech with one simple line in last night's conference call. Listen to this, and I quote, Based on the rapid progress we are making with our AI roadmap execution and purchase commitments from cloud customers, we now expect data center GPU revenue to be approximately $400 million in the fourth quarter and exceed $2 billion in 2024 as revenue ramps throughout the year. And quote, parsing that line, Dr. Sue is saying that AMD's revenues from graphics processors used in the data center about to soar thanks to artificial intelligence. These are the kind of chips that people normally associate with NVIDIA, and, they, as, as, and as they come online, it's going to produce bountiful sales for AMD. I've always said that this company is the only company that has a chance of becoming a meaningful competitor in AI chips, and it's clear that business is strong enough that there's plenty of money to go around for both NVIDIA and AMD. 
Sooners talking about real revenues this year, not some chimerical sales in 2027. It's what they've done for you lately, hence the stock's almost 10% rally today. With that one line, Lisa Sue jumpstarted the Morbun AI group, pushing up the stocks of NVIDIA, which had been trading like it was on death's door, along with Microsoft, ServiceNow, Amazon, and Adobe, the only companies that have actual acknowledged revenue from AI right now, at least so far. Hey, then there's train technologies. TT, you've seen them on the show. It used to be mainly as heating, ventilation, air conditioning business, but it's now a sustainability solutions enterprise. Train had incredibly robust bookings with organic revenue growth of 9% and earnings per share up 23% year over year. Their legacy HVAC business is, and I quote, extremely strong. And applied climate technologies is on fire, bolstered by government regulations. That's an always good tailwind to have. That's how the stock could jump 12% single session. How about Eaton? Wow, old-fashioned metal bender, huh? It's, no, shrewd pivot. It's become the leader in a host of megatrends, including electrification, energy transition, digitalization, infrastructure spending, and reindustrialization. You know what? I'm calling that the royal flush of American business teams. And Eaton dominates them all. On the conference call, Eaton explained that it's expanding data center build-outs, some of which, and I got a quote here, are being modified to support the adoption of generative AI. Holy cow! Anything that generates electricity in a relatively clean way seems to have Eaton's fingerprints on it. It's all captured by this sentence from the conference school. Another trend driving higher electric content is the need for solutions that allow bi-directional flow of power back to the grid and the ability to optimize the use of renewable energy to power data centers. Boom shakalaka. I mean, that's what we need, right? Hey, that's how stock rallies 3.3%, but the best in show anyway. I think you should still buy it. Those are all the savers of the last 24 hours, and I can't say enough good things about them. You know what? They joined the likes of Lindy, a growth cyclical industrial gas company, which has become one of the most reliable beat and raise enterprises in the universe, owned by the, by the Chattel Trust. Street calls Lindy a, quote, sleep at night stock because of its endless margin improvement, consistent cash generation, and great cash deployment. Barclays even described it as a stock that allows you to hit, and I quote, the snooze button. Oh, I wish we had more snooze buttons. Same goes for General Electric, which last week showed that it had some of the best numbers I can recall because of a terrific aerospace business. And with, and I quote, orders up double digits with services up 15 percent, equipment up 22 percent and growth in all segments, end quote. GE stock got dinged today because of some offshore wind project cancellations. Hey, with my home state of New Jersey, not good uh, for its coming power spinoff, but it's giving me an opportunity to buy this high quality industrial at a much, much better price. Of course, as much as I salute these stocks, they've been running here, and regular viewers know that I hate the chase. So therefore, you might want to ask, who's at the cusp of a turn in business whose stock is way down, a positive turn, even as their stocks right now are shunned? Who's the next AMD? Who's the next trade? Let me tell you about two of the stocks we own from Travel Trust, because they're way down, and I think they could be primed to get better. You sure ain't paying top dollar. We're going to start with DuPont. Yeah, Double D, the old-fashioned chemical company that reported what was widely panned as a disappointing quarter today. Yet if you speak to the ever-bankable CEO, Ed Breen, he said that he's finally seeing some green shoots in the electronics end markets that are a major driver of DuPont's earnings. Normally, I'd say that you can just forget about this one, another screwed-up one. But Ed told me that he suspects a turn could be at hand. And Ed's been, well, he's been around the block. I trust him. I trust DuPont. I could be wrong. I'm wrong about stocks. I know that. But I like this one. Second, there's a stock that the trust bought today, and boy, is it ever down. And now it's called Oracle. And it certainly fits the AMD pattern. If you recall, when Oracle reported, CEO Safra Katz and founder Larry Ellison talked about how their data center cloud AI business is on fire. Well, I can buy into that down here. The stock's 22 points from its high. 19 times earnings. Not too shabby. Not too risky. 
Now, remember, this exercise of rewarding the companies that beat the numbers has only been working inconsistently of late because we've been so darn worried about interest rates. When long rates soar, nobody cares about the earnings I just mentioned, but we had no worries today. Because the Fed just spoke and Treasury rolled out a jolly benign bond issue in schedule. More on that in a moment. Bottom line, these two positives make the what have you done for me lately equation a game worth playing. Because suddenly the market actually cares about the results of individual companies. Given that the Fed and Treasury won't be able to do a 180 anytime soon and we still have an oversold market, we could have more moments just like this one. Hey, why don't we go to Lane in New York? Lane. The doctor of genealogy. What's going on, Jimmy? Oh, no, it's my wife's birthday, you know, just trying to have some fun. What's going on with you? Hey, I want to tell you, you are the Ted Williams of the stock gurus. 401? I, got four, I hit 401. Maybe not bad. I can see the ball better than anybody. 370 after he came back from three years in the war. Now, that's a guy that I like. What's going on? All right, hey, I got tractor supply. Do you think I should put more invested in it? Get rid of it. Uh, you know, uh, I don't like the retailers. Lean. Lean. I'm a Costco guy. I'm a Walmart guy. I'm an Amazon guy. And I'm a TGX guy. And never the twain shall meet. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian. How are you doing, sir? Brian, I'm doing real well. How about you? What's going on? I, I'm doing well. Thank you. I, you know, I just want you to know I have tremendous respect for your expert, expertise and your insight in the stock market. I wanted to get your perspective on FedEx. Could you share your insights? I'll give you my perspective uh, on FedEx. It is run by one dynamite CEO. I think the world of this company, Raj Supermanian, is going to be able to handle this downturn at $243. I'm saying it is a... Bye, bye, bye! Travis in Kansas. Tra- well, Kansas City. That's Travis Kelsey, right? Tell him I want try. Just put the girlfriend on. Hey, oh, oh, hey, how you doing? Let's hear about, is this Mr. Let's Pfizer? Hear about the Netflix. I thought it was Mr. Pfizer. Uh, all right, now which one? Which stock? Yeah, uh, Netflix movies. Netflix. I like Netflix. They just wore a dynamite quarter. They got good ad-driven stuff coming. I think that it is high quality. And by the way, just so we know, kind of already had the dip. And now it's got the pause of refresh. You can buy Netflix. We're going to go to Will in Kentucky. Will. Hey, Jim. This is Will in Lexington. Hey, I had a question uh, about Palo Alto Networks. I'll be honest. I've kind of trimmed a lot of my individual positions. Of course, I've still got some ETFs. But I, I like Palo Alto because it's got cash flow. And I like the story. I mean, it doesn't seem like we're going to be in a safer world. You know, All right, listen to me, Will. Place. Will from Lexington. I happen to like the town of Lexington very much. I've been to that horse park there. It's dynamite. Here's what I know about Palo Alto. I'm calling it best in show when it comes to cyber. The fact that it's at 244, still down, it's down 21 points from its high. You're dealing with Nikesh Aurora. Whenever you hear about these cyber attacks, whenever you're about what North Korea is up to or what Iran, you should be thinking, I got to buy some P-A-N-W. And that's why Will has horse. Given that the Fed and the Treasury won't do 180 anytime soon since they just spoke today, we still have an oversold market. We can have more moments like today. I think this is a bona fide good one. Mad Money tonight. On this all-important Fed decision day, I'm thinking about the man I call the savior of the bond market. Not familiar? Josh Frost. Write that down. And what today's investors can learn from his approach to yields. Then, could Kava be the next Panera? Uh, or is the harissa chicken too spicy to touch right now? I, I need it, but I always like to have a side of, of uh, the Pepto. You know, Pepto's good for me. 
I'm taking a look at this fast casual stock ahead of its report next week. And I want to get a closer look at consumer spending habits. So who better to talk about that? And how about the uh, company that owns uh, Chili's and Maggiano's? Don't miss my excuse with the CEO of Brinker, symbol EAT, after the company's impressive report this morning. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's match engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I've been working downtown for 40 years now. I bet I walk by the most powerful man in finance dozens of times during that period. Probably not at him, but I had no idea who it was. I'm talking about a man named Josh Frost, the Assistant Secretary for Financial Markets at the U.S. Treasury Department, an unassuming man who may have changed the entire course of financial markets. That's because this professional issued a release today that may have ended the equilibrium problem in the bond market that I'm always talking about to you. This was the, and I'm going to hold it up because it's a big deal, the quarterly refunding statement of Assistant Secretary for Financial Markets, Josh Frost. Nice ring to it. What exactly did Frost do? The man who used to be at the New York Fed, down the block from me, where he was co-chair of the liquidity program for the most systemically important financial institutions in this country? Well, he calculated a way for the government to borrow enough money to cover its massive obligations without destroying the U.S. Treasury market any further than it's already been destroyed. Rather than emphasizing what's known as the long end, he's deciding to offer funding that's relatively shorter in duration. Remember, it's longer-term bonds that have been hammered in price in recent months. Frost realized that the Treasury would do a lot less damage if they sold short Shorter-term notes, specifically mostly three- and ten-year notes, rather than trying to issue 20- or 30-year bonds, which have just been crushing us. That's because the Treasury Department now more or less controls the long end of the yield curve that's supposed to be determined by the magic of the market. See, unfortunately, our government used to borrow so much money that long rates have become hostage to longer-term Treasury auctions. Today, though, Frost 
decided that it's actually worth paying attention to this stuff. And we got a huge rally in longer term bond prices, one of the biggest I've ever seen, which, of course, sent their yields dramatically lower because of this low impact issuance. If the Treasury plans to sell more short term paper, and less long term paper we will be much closer to the equilibrium at the longer end of the yield curve. And that's important because it governs everything from auto loans to mortgages to corporate finance and, yes, in a tangential but very cogent way, the price of your stocks, because stocks are known as elongated assets, too. For years now, Treasury's been uniquely tone deaf to how far it should go when it's borrowing money to cover our immense and irresponsible deficit. I know this because I personally urged and then actually begged two successive Treasury secretaries in person to issue long-term bonds, please, back when the interest rates were much lower. We could have locked in 3% interest for 30 years for trillions of debt. I even at one time urged both publicly and privately creating a one-time 50-year bond. Because rates were so low, it seemed foolish not to take advantage of it. Nobody at Treasury seemed to care, though. Actually, most of them told me I didn't understand the bond market, even as I've traded bonds since 1982. Of course, that ship has sailed. Now, to stop the huge climb in long rates, Treasury either has to go out in hat in hand to find fine buyers, or he can simply kick the can down the road by issuing this much shorter-term paper where it's selling as its impact. Enter Josh Frost, savior of the bond market who gave the long end of the curve a reprieve by commuting the death sentence for long-term treasuries. He did the smart thing, and he said, hey, we're kicking the can down the road. Sure, there's Jay Powell out there, and he's calling the shots on the short end, and we still aren't sure of his next move, but the 30-year buck stops right here at the door of Josh. Today, with this quarterly refunding statement of Assistant Secretary for Financial Markets, Josh Frost, he took Treasury out of the equation of longer-term interest rates. He spared us from the horrendous impact of our government's profligate spending on the long end, at least for the moment. Josh Wish I knew you when I walked regularly by the Wendy's so close to the New York Fed, or perhaps even that Dunkin' Donuts right at the corner. Real good Joe there. I would have tipped my cap, maybe even bought you a cup of Joe, and certainly thank you for your public service. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, grab a bowl of Fast Casuals Future. Dig into the stock that could be your next breadwinner when we return. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Last week, we got a chance to check back in with Ron Shake, one of my heroes, the founder and former CEO of Panera Bread, who ultimately sold his company to a private equity firm for $7.5 billion about six years ago. Shake was here to talk about his new book, Know What Matters. Hey, by the way, it is a truly great read. He also mentioned that he's still involved in the business as an investor. And that includes a major position in Kava Group, the Mediterranean chain that came public earlier this year. He's chairman of the board. When Kava came public in June, I told you it had a great concept, but I also warned you to wait before buying the stock because recent IPOs have a bad habit of coming public with a bang and then spending months retreating from their initial highs. I told you this one was likely to double in its first day before eventually rolling over. Sure enough, Kava came public at 22, closed just under 44 in its first day of trading, then peaked at 58 in early August just before pulling back to just under 32 as of today. At these levels, though, it's a lot more intriguing, which brings me to Sheikh's extremely compelling pitch just last week. Take a look at this. Kava has got the potential to be an industry-dominant company. 
This is really one of the real ones. Many companies go public shouldn't. This one should. Why? 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 Because it's in a niche. It's in a category that is powerful. Mediterranean, very simply, could be the next Mexican. It's got bold flavors. It's got the number one diet in America. One of the real ones. Granted, Shake's talking his book here, but he's absolutely earned the benefit of the doubt in the restaurant industry. Look, from the very first time our show aired in 2005 until Panera got acquired in 2017, Shake gave you a 475% gain. That's almost five times the 95% gain you would have gotten from the S&P over S&P 500 over the same period. So with a lockup on insider selling coming on December 12th, write that down if you're interested, December 12th, something that will likely trigger a pullback. Sell, sell. Is it time to put Cobb on your shopping list? Look, when this post-IPO quiet period ended, most of the analysts that initiated coverage on Cobb were bullish. Now, look, it doesn't mean all that much. I mean, candidly, most of those firms participated in the IPO, and while there's still technically a Chinese wall separating the investment banking side from the research side, it's very rare for the analysts to slap a sell rating on a stock that their firm just helped bring public. Still, when the company's not particularly good, you'll see a lot of neutral or hold ratings right out of the gate, sort of like the old Ivy League gentleman. See? That's definitely not the case here, as Kava got seven buys and just four holes with no sales whatsoever and an average price target of just over $44. In fact, Brian Harbour from Morgan Stanley just upgraded it from equal weight to overweight, meaning hold to buy, pointing out that any consumer softness has already been baked into the stock, while Kava still has much better traffic trends than most of its peers. More importantly, though, Kava reported a solid quarter in mid-August, 27% revenue growth, only down slightly from 28% in the first quarter. Same store sales growth and astounding, 18.2%. That's spectacular. Most restaurant chains would kill for that. Now, at the time of the IPO, I told you to watch Kava's average unit volume, meaning the average revenue per location. Chipotle's got some of the best AUV numbers in the industry at just under $2.9 million. Man, that's incredible. When Kava came public, they had $2.55 million average unit volume. Not shabby at all. That was least in the latest quarter. It rose to $2.6 million. That's encouraging. Cobb has always been very respectable on it com- when it comes to the profitability front, too. I mean, right before it came public, I called out the restaurant-level profit margin, which measures the profitability of the stores while ignoring the expense of new openings and other corporate costs. Cava's restaurant-level profit margin came in at 25.4% in the first quarter, and now we know it's ticked up to 261 in the second quarter, up 400 basis points year over year. Finally, Cabo offered a full-year forecast for the first time in August. They are targeting 65 to 70 net new restaurant openings with same-store restaurant sales growth of 13 to 15% restaurant-level profit margins of at least 23%. All right, this is a bit mixed. Their same-store sales guidance does imply a meaningful slowdown from the first half, while the restaurant-level profit margins also headed in the wrong direction. But at the same time, their earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization forecast was very encouraging. Plus, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe they're kind of low-balling us on that same-store sales and restaurant-level margins figures. You know, kind of under-promise and over-deliver, or UPOD. We're going to find out soon enough, because Kava reports again next Tuesday after the close. I'll be watching to see if the company can keep up its momentum. But I wouldn't try to get too cute with the stock going into the quarter. Well, because the lockup on insider selling expires in less than six weeks. If you feel really good about Kava, knock yourself out and put on a small position before the quarter. But honestly, you shouldn't buy this one in any quantity until mid to late December, once the insiders can sell en masse. I think you'll get plenty of down days to buy the stock in the weakness, given the ugly state of this market and the desire from so many insiders to nail down gains before they become, well, not gains. Long story short, Ron Shake's simple but, un- but enthusiastic summary of why Kava has so much potential has us eager to start thinking about this story again for the first time since the IPO. Oh, I love Kava, the concept, the start, even as I told you to be patient with the stock. It looks like the core thesis for Kava's remains intact, and the stock's now pulled back dramatically from its highs. But the bottom line, 
If you can exercise just a little bit more patience so the lockup on insider selling ends, that's what I recommend. However, it's time to at least start thinking about putting cobble on your shopping list because I agree with Ron. This company has enormous long-term potential as a growth restaurant play, and Ron would only have gotten involved if he believed in this company. He didn't need to. Hey, maybe that's the best endorsement of all. Brent in Washington. Brent. Yes, sir. Uh, hey, Jim. Love the show. Thank you, Brent. I would. Lo- Thank you. I would like to ask you, sir, about ARM Holdings, ticker ARM. I'm wondering what you think about any potential changes in its revenue model. Okay, this is really important. I think ARM is one of the winners here. I mean, look, I like AMD. Everybody knows that. I like Broadcom very much. People know that. And obviously, NVIDIA, I say own it, don't trade it, although I don't really care about the current quarter. ARM has the potential to be in that mix because they are NVIDIA's partner in so many different things. I think Renee Haas is doing a terrific job, so I am bullish on ARM, even as it is a tad more expensive than I'd like it to be. Peter in Virginia. Peter. Jim, my man, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How about you, Chief? Great. Thank you for asking. A uh, quick question for you. Instacart post-IPO, stock's not doing great. They're down nearly half percent, uh, 50% from their IPO highs. Financially, um, aren't great either. They just turned a profit for the first time in 10 years in 2022. Um, also, I think consumers are looking to spend more efficiently, and getting someone else to buy your groceries for you isn't the most prudent use of cash. Right. All in all, there's a host of problems. I don't see a great uh, growth hypothesis for them, but I want to get your take. I agree with you. I don't. I mean, look, Tony Hsu just delivered a pretty good number from DoorDash. If you want to be in that business, I suggest you go with DoorDash and avoid what's now known as Maple Bear. I think it's probably three up, three down. That's not good enough for me to be attractive. Thank you for that great question. All right. As I said many times before, I agree with Ron Shea. I see Kava's long-term potential as a growth restaurant play, which is why I think it's time to put this stock on the buying menu. Much more man money at Brick International put an impressive beat and raise this morning, speaking of restaurants. So is there more behind the quarter than just the crispers and the margies? I'm talking to CEO. Then in this volatile earnings season, I'm taking a look at one consumer-facing stock that's changed its trajectory from being a loser to a winner. I'm looking at why you might want to add it to your shopping list. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. make of the restaurant stocks and well we're increasingly worried about the consumer i mean this morning we got results from brinker international that's a pair of chilies and maggianos and that's the family style italian eatery and the numbers i thought were really pretty good while brinker delivered basically inline revenues at same store sales they also posted a monster 22 cent earnings beat off a six cent basis on top of that management raised the midpoint for their full year earnings forecast by 15 cents I thought the stock should have been up a lot more. What's driving the strength here? Apparently, Chili's is doing very well thanks to menu items that focus on value and a turn to more national advertising after a three-year hiatus, and it's continuing. Stock got a good little bit of lip, but let's see if it has more to run. Let's check in with Kevin Hockman. the president CEO of Brinker International. Get a better sense of the quarter of what comes next. Mr. Hockman, welcome back to Man Money. Oh, thanks for having me on the show, Jim. I appreciate it. I have to tell you, I love the numbers. And what I really like is that the consumers obviously uh, responding both to value and to your commercials. Uh, I know you just decided to put even more money in advertising. So clearly you're seeing a good cadence month to month as the quarter went on. Yeah, you know, our Q1 was definitely a great stair step in the continuation of the success of our strategy. We're simplifying the restaurants for the team members to do their job, which is wowing guests and making them feel special. 
We're now putting money back into advertising to drive guests back in the door, and we're improving guest scores. That is a recipe for great growth and, more importantly, even better margins. So we've had a great quarter. We're really excited about the future. Well, it does seem like labor. I don't want to say there's deflation, but it's going up slower. But the food deflation, coupled with the fact that you've actually got some really good value meals, is showing me that this is actually maybe something that I would regard as sustainable. Yeah, you know, we obviously had some COGS deflation, which we felt really good about, but mm-hmm. also the simplification that's happening in the restaurants right now are also starting to show up in the P&L, right? So we get rid of fry baskets and we get rid of different plateware. You know, those are millions of dollars that are hitting our bottom line that, quite frankly, is going into you know, that middle of the P&L, which we're seeing that incredible improvement, you know, on, on the margins. And so these are all things that we either can take to profit or we can start reinvesting back in the business. We're doing both, and I think that's why you saw such a good quarter. Well, I also like the fact that, obviously, hiring – everyone's – you're going up, you're taking share, but the higher income people are responding too. Now, is this because of where you're placing the ads and are you doing mostly sports? I've seen a lot of your ads. Yeah, you know, I got to give a shout out to our, you know, our head of advertising, Jesse Johnson. He's handpicking these ads and everybody's seeing them everywhere. We feel great about that. I think what's going on with the business and that we have a higher income guest starting to, starting to develop is, you know, we're pulling a lot of that deep discounting out of the business. You know, we're advertising the right way. We're putting that money back into the restaurants, back into you know our restaurant teams. We're seeing the experience levels Im- Im- improve. And so when you stop doing the, all that discounting, you start investing back into the business, you start improving the service levels, great things happen. All right. Now, I want to ask you about something that I think is radically overblown by Wall Street. And as a restaurateur and someone who's in this business, I can tell you, I know whereof I speak. I think this whole GLP, which is these obesity and diabetes drugs, is make, making people concerned that maybe people won't go out as much. I actually think that that's a total wrong read. What does your research tell you? Yeah, you know, we look at these things just like we would look at any potential headwind, right? Assess the risk, make sure, you know, we either have it managed or it's or if it's going to be small, to not manage it. Um, you know, here's how we think about it. It's not the first diet pill that's come out in the market. It's not <laughs> going to be the last diet pill. You know, currently at its price point, you know, it's close to five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. It's probably not that much overlap with the Chili's guest. And you know, if it were to restrict uh, diets, we have an amazing guiltless grill menu. Lots of different options that are low calorie. We have our new skinny margarita made with Termano Blanco. That's a premium. Um, so we think we're that we're well positioned if things were to change. But right now, we're not viewing it as the biggest risk. We're going to keep monitoring. Okay, I wanted to ask you about about alcohol. Uh, some people feel that this group of 21 to 25 is not drinking as much. I also don't get that read, but I understand how people could see. You've got a, a really terrific margarita business. Uh, I am sure you've also seen that a lot of these uh, beers with no alcohol are selling well. What's the state of, of liquor at, at, at Brinker? Well, you know, non-alcoholic beverages are growing. Alcoholic beverages are growing. Beverages are growing, which we feel really good about. We think there's a huge opportunity, really, to focus on our margaritas. A lot of people don't know we're the number one margarita sales uh, restaurant in the entire world. Uh, we sell a ton of tequila, and there's lots of room to innovate up. So whether you have $6 in your pocket and you want to get our great margarita of the month, or you want to climb up to our Presidente at $9, or get our super premium Casamigos at 14 we're going to make sure that we have your needs met. And we obviously have a gigantic uh, uh, non-alcoholic beverage business, and we partner very closely with Coca-Cola. They're amazing business partners. All right. They are fabulous. I want to drill down on this a little bit more. I just got some Agave Spirits numbers that shows that that is the greatest growing part of alcohol, and you are the number one producer. I want people to understand that the margins are quite good in the Agave business. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, alcoholic beverages and knockoff beverages have incredible margins. And so the more that we can grow the incidence of that business, 
the more our overall margins will grow. And, you know, that's what we're seeing. That's a big part of the improvements are we're making not just improvements in food costs and food margins, but we're also seeing the same thing in beverages. All right. Now, the, is a, there's a perception on Wall Street again that the consumer is weakening. I come back and say when the consumer is feeling a little bit more tepid, they're still going to go out, but they're going to go out at a value price, which is, again, your stores. Yeah, you know, we talked about that, and I get asked about that all the time. You know, what happens if the macro, you know, hits, and, you know, what are you going to do about it? And the reality is we're going to do the same thing whether the macro hits or not. We're going to continue to improve service levels because the guest is going to go out less, so they're going to choose the guys that they trust, like Chili's. Number two, we're going to make sure we advertise leadership value. And number three, we're going to protect that value. You know, 1099, burger, fries, chips and salsa, and bottomless drink, that's unbeatable in any category, not just casual dining, whether you're fast food or fast casual. All right, last question. I know you're doing this uh, customer relations management stuff. It sounds good, but uh, I have always felt that you, you are, you've got a pretty good affinity with your guests. What will it mean? Uh, uh, more names that you'll get, that you'll email, discounts? I mean, I'm trying to figure out why you even need to. Yeah, so it's a huge opportunity for us. You know, we have a database of about 12 million names that are active in our, in, our, in our database. We don't know a lot about them. We don't have that data tokenized. We're working right now to tokenize that data, meaning no matter how you transact with us, we're gonna know, you know when you came in and what you bought so that we can better meet your needs and give you more relevant offers and give you more relevant communication about what's going on with Chili's. You know, believe it or not, Jim, not everybody's worried about what's going on in Chili's. And so we got to make sure that the messages that we give them are highly targeted and relevant to them so they actually consume them. And we think we can do that. We can have some more explosive growth in traffic. I have to agree. I think it's a terrific idea. Uh, I'm a fan. What can I say? Been for very many years, and I think you do a terrific job. I thought the stock should have been up more. That's Kevin Hockman, president and CEO of Breaker International EAT. You know, it's not too late, Kevin. You can get in still with that great quarter. That's right. That's the great news about our stock. It's open for buying. All right. Thank you very much, man. Money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's on the lightning round. Kramer, Robert, Gold, Nolan, Say, Santa, Stock, Peter, William, Planet, Sam. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate? Time for the lightning round. Kramer, let's start with Mark in Missouri. Mark. Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I recently opened a position in North of Grumman in mid-September. And given the large demand here and overseas for at least the next several years for defense-related products, should I add to my position? Yes, you should. I think it's a terrific situation. I really like it. I also do like Lockheed Martin. I think that is breaking out. I like LHX, but I think you've got to find one in Northrop Grumman and buy more. Let's go to Larry in Virginia. Larry! Hey, how you doing, Kramer? Thanks for taking my call. First time Of course, Larry. What's up? Um, I'm out of Ypsilanti, so, but... uh, my question is about Lucid in five to ten years. Would it, is it possible no, see, they can turn it, things it's around? It's possible it can make it, but that common stock may not get through the promised land. I'm not recommending any stocks of companies who, that are losing lots of money. I'm sorry. Chris in Connecticut. Chris. Hey, thanks for taking the call, Jim. Of course. Third-time caller. All right. Um, you know, I've learned a lot from you, and you. I want to thank you. Um, thank you very much. My company, oil stock, Occidental Petroleum, OXY. 
You know, I've got to tell you, I have been shocked that this stock hasn't moved up more since Warren Buffett continues to buy it. But oil has been a surprising loser here, uh, even despite the, the conflagration in the Mideast. Uh, that is not my favorite. I would suggest that you take a hard look at buying the stock of Kotara, which is the cheapest and is 50% natural gas. And I think it's a stock that my travel trust continues to buy because we believe so much in it. Let's go to Mark in New York. Mark. Hey, Jim. Big fan here. Big fan. Oh, thank you. Thank you, buddy. What's up? The trade desk. You see this as a uh, the long-term buy. Long That's funny. Long-term I was looking buy. at Roku. I was looking at Roku today, and I said, you know what? I would like a better way, now that Roku's up very big, to play these trends, and you hit upon it. It's trade desk with Jeff Green, who does a remarkable job. It is an expensive stock, but it is a good one. Let's go to Michael Michigan. Michael. Hi, Jim. Michael, what's up? I'm in a comfortable chair in Michigan, and I need your opinion on the commercial seat maker, Adient, A-D-N-T. I know Adient. I can't recommend anything that's even remotely uh, near the blast zone that is autos right now, though. I'm sorry. Let's go to Chris in Kansas. Chris. Thank you for your staff for having me on today. I have my daughter here who wants to say hello. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I like your opinion on the strip maker that's also on the bullpen. What is your opinion on Marvel Technology? Okay, I think that Matt Murphy's doing a terrific job. Uh, we actually know right now that there are certain companies that are doing fantastically, typically, let's just say AMD. And I know Matt may not like this, but I think that the better buy right now may actually be Broadcom, AVGO, because I think Hocktan will either buy back a ton of stock or be able to buy the multiple enhancing VMware. And he says we'll be able to hear about that very soon. So I think that Broadcom, despite the fact that it has that big, $850 price is the better one. Ten shares. Ten shares. How about Charles in Florida? Charles. Booyah from sunny St. Petersburg, Florida. Everyone loves St. Petersburg. I always loved it. What's up? We'd love to have you here, too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Jim, I'd like to ask you about a stock we've had for generations. Always enjoyed the dividend. Still has a tremendous hardware. Case of uh, Wi-Fi. And okay. AT&T. Uh, you know, I don't like AT&T. I mean, look, Verizon actually reported a decent quarter. Some people think AT&T reported a decent quarter. But if things turn tough again, we've had three really great days. If things turn tough again, I, I'm just going to come back and say, uh, why did I recommend to that very nice man to buy the stock of AT&T? So the answer is no. Thank you. Let's go to Truman in California. Truman. Hey, Jimmy Bob. Booyah. Booyah, hey. man. What's going on? There's a company that is a fantastic automation company, and it is uh, a real game player uh, in the market in for onshoring manufacturing, uh, reshoring, French shoring. But it seems like their salesmen are stuck on the side of the road with their battery dead and their EV. What's going on with Emerson? Okay, Emerson, uh, they, they did this acquisition. I'd like to see the results of it. Actually, not the, I mean, look, it just had a very nice run. The Chapel Trust owns it. We were thrilled that it went all the way up to $100. Uh, but it does report next week. I think it could be good, but a lot of the industrials are giving up the ghost because people feel we're in a slowdown. I happen to think that Emerson remains a core holding for my Chapel Trust. How about we go to Buzz in California? Buzz. Hey, Jim. Big Marcel Booyah to you. Ah, nice, man. What's up? Yeah, sure. Sound good. Yeah. Hey, Jim. First, I need to give a big, quick shout out to my boys, Forrest, Whaler, Rat, and Huggy Bear. Talk the, whole, the whole shooting match there. Absolutely. I completely agree. Hey, What's Jim. Up? Last yeah. time we spoke, the stock, you were out here in California for Dreamforce. 
Jim, okay. we're still getting Rototill to owning Edwards Life Science. I don't know. They, that was a terrible quarter. I mean, they can do better than that. I got to tell you, they must do better than that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, Assignment Property Group we trust. Kramer's got the real deal on real estate. Next. During earnings season, I always like to look for stocks that change their trajectory in response to the quarter. Winners become losers, or maybe losers become winners. Because that gives you a perfect opportunity to reevaluate stories where Wall Street may have gotten too complacent. Not all these moves are meaningful, but sometimes they're earth-shaking in their significance. Take Simon Property Group. That's the real estate investment trust that owns some of the highest quality shopping malls in America. Now, this stock had been pulverized over the last few months, but after reported earlier this week, it, it came roaring back. First of all, let's talk about where it's coming from. For years, we've been told that the mall is dead, right? And all this business is being taken over by e-commerce with brick-and-mortar retail falling by the wayside. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that Simon Properties has no future. But I always thought that attitude was, frankly, simplistic. This company's an incredibly shrewd operator that's come up with creative solutions to navigate its way through a tough environment while it's used billions of dollars in distributions to you, a shareholder. For example, Simon Property created an investment vehicle to buy mall-based retailers that went bankrupt, giving them quality brands for pennies in the dollar while also allowing key tenants to keep paying the rent and, of course, leaving no giant hole at the end of the mall. And, of course, there's the quality question. Sure, shopping malls aren't what they were 20 years ago in the aggregate, but Simon owns the highest quality Class A malls that have held up much, much better than others. That's why I always used to defend this one until the pandemic hit and became almost impossible to stay positive. While Simon's stock rebounded to pre-COVID levels by late 2021, the last couple of years have been a slot. The last few months have gotten especially ugly because the relentless rise in interest rates has made Simon's 6.8% dividend yield seem a lot less enticing by comparison. At the same time, everybody's worried about retail. Well, because even if the consumer's not tapped out yet, they're a lot more likely to be tapped out if long rates hit 6%, which is roughly where I think it could happen if inflation doesn't come down. So Simon Properties seen its stock tumble from $125 in late July to $105 right before it reported on Monday night. Those results were so good that the stock jumped nearly $5 or 4.3% yesterday. Before tacking on another 2 bucks and change today, I wouldn't be surprised it's got a lot more room to run. What changed when Simon reported on Monday? Well, first of all, they delivered $1.41 billion in revenue. Wall Street was only looking for $1.28 billion. That's huge, up 7.2% year over year. Meanwhile, their funds from operations, that's the real estate investment trust equivalent of earnings, came in at $3.20 per share. The street was only looking for $2.97. Simon had an astounding 95.2% occupancy rate at the end of September, up from 94.5 the year before, and 20 basis points higher than expected. Their base minimum rent per square foot was $56.41. That's also up 3% year-over-year. Best of all, Simon raised its full-year funds from operations forecast by 30 cents. Now talking about $12.15 to $12.25. Hey, uh, for the full-year, analysts were expecting only $11.87. That's a nice fulcrum. On the conference call, CEO David Simon paid an impressive picture. Listen to this. Quote, leasing momentum continues across our portfolio. We signed more than 970 leases for approximately 4.3 million square feet in a quarter. Through the first nine months of 2023, we signed more than 3,500 leases for 15 million square feet, which is expected to generate over $1 billion of revenue. End quote. Simon added, and I quote, 
We have an additional 1,100 deals in our pipeline, including renewals, renewals for another $400 million in revenue. We are seeing strong, broad-based demand from retail communities, including continued strength from many categories, end quote. I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but that just sounds phenomenal to me. During the question and answer session, Simon gave us some more color. He said he expects occupancy to be at least close to record levels by the end of the year. While he admitted that his team is, quote, cautious waiting for shoes to drop, end quote, he said they just haven't seen it yet, at least when it comes to new deals. And Simon called out many areas of strength, food and beverage, entertainment, high-end luxury, athleisure. Overall, he explained that Simon property has mostly cycled through the retailers that struggled during the pandemic. Things are all trending in the right direction. Now, this is a very critical man who would not be saying these things unless he believed them. He wouldn't do that. Now, let's talk about Simon Spark, S-P-A-R-C. Group joint venture. The entity had set up to, to buy brands that were going under. Spark now owns Aeropostale, Brooks Brothers, Forever 21, Nautica, Reebok, among others, with nearly $13 billion in annual retail sales. It's been a home run for Simon Property. After all, who would know better than which of these brands were worth saving than Simon? On the third quarter, we saw even more benefits from this business. First, the Singapore-based fast fashion detail, digital retailer, Shein, signed a deal with uh, that includes store-within-a-store setups at Forever 21 and returns made through Forever 21. Look, if you haven't heard of Shein, go ask your daughter. I mean, it was all over the Piper Sandler teen survey we highlighted recently. We also saw Simon start to monetize its investment in Spark. They took their ownership stake down from 50% to 33%. They booked a nice game from the sale. When the conference call manager explained that they're very pleased with the joint venture, but it also introduce some noise to the numbers that not all of Simon's investors love. That's why they plan to gradually sell off their stake in the joint venture over time. Simon Property wants to be a real estate investment trust, not a house of retail brands. I don't want them to be that either. Now, this morning, Goldman Sachs added Simon to its conviction list, arguing that their malls are poised for a comeback as retailers expand their store footprints for a post-COVID environment where people actually enjoy shopping in person. I think there's some logic to that argument. Goldman also notes that there's strong demand and dwindling supply for high-end retail space. They're also bullish on Simon's ability to redevelop existing malls and expand into outlets. Hey, by the way, if they want to build up their outlet business in a hurry, they can just take the Proceeds from the Spark Joint Venture and use them to buy another one of my favorites, Tanger Factory Outlets, which has a $2.4 billion market cap. That's chump change for Simon. Or they could just keep buying back their stocks like they did in the third quarter when they repurchased nearly 1.3 million shares. Okay, not a huge number, less than a half percent of the company's shares outstanding at the, at the end of the previous quarter, but it's significant. This is a company that has returned tens of billions of dollars to shareholders over the years, but it's almost all entirely done via dividend. So the fact that they're in the market buying stock alongside you right now is an immense positive. Bottom line, Simon's stock popped yesterday because contrary to expectations, the core business is doing great. They're getting additional money from their savvy retail investments during the pandemic. And the mall business could have even more upside now that consumers are looking for experiences. Because, hey, mall's an experience. You get all this with a cheap stock trading at less than 10 times this year's funds from operations forecast and a 6.8% dividend yield. I've said dividends don't give you much of a cushion or trampoline when you can get 5% from Treasuries risk-free. But I think Simon's 6.8% yield is big enough to put a floor underneath this one, limiting your downside. I always like to say, by the way, that there's, <laughs> there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.